Hey, City Champion listeners, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So, speaking of ATB, are you tired of paying bank fees when you can't remember the last time you went into a branch? You spoke and ATB listened. And they've created a no monthly fee digital account with a line of credit that makes banking work for you. You can bank, borrow, and save all in one account with no monthly fees. Qualify for the line of credit portion, anywhere from $5,000 to $50,000, and you can get this convenient account that makes everyday digital banking a breeze. There are no monthly fees, no minimum balance, unlimited digital transactions, and free Interac e-transfers. You also earn interest on balances over $1,000. So check out atb.com for all the details. And now back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by one hell of a guy and a friend of mine by the name of Nick Good. Nick and I bartend together at Local Jasper and uh, we're the guys joking all the time that we're the old men of the group pushing 30. Uh, Nick is also a fellow podcaster, a writer, and a somewhat student of the world, I'd say, which is obvious by his wide-ranging interests and seemingly random but interesting knowledge about life. So my intention was to dive deep into the world of writing with Nick and talk about his education, uh, his creative process, and the common struggles with artists uh, and things they face, like rejection. Uh, We did cover a bit of that in the episode, but certainly got sidetracked on a number of occasions, which in all honesty, uh, was still extremely enjoyable. So make sure to check out his podcast, Two Man Booth, which I'll be appearing on later this week. Uh, And it can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and I'll also link it in the episode show notes. Uh, But for now, please buckle up and enjoy this extremely hot intro for my conversation with the hilarious and gregarious Nicholas Good. Okay. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was surprised people. I was well, and we're live. I was gonna ask you Ask me. You're a little uh when you whenever you do the preamble thing, you always obviously that's post production. Yeah. A little inside the podcaster studio here. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a postmortem. I like to do those right after, but sometimes if my day is too busy, yeah. I'll have to do it a day or two later. Yeah. Um but I find right after is the best because everything's fresh in your mind, right? And you gotta yeah. take notes of what you talked about and, and that kind of stuff. And for our listeners here, we're sitting with Nick Good. Yeah. Don't do a long preamble. If, when, when you eventually when you eventually drop that in, you don't need to do a long one about. Here's another little little tidbit of inside the podcaster studio. I got bumped for some guy named like Grant Fear or something. <laughs> well, I don't know if we ever had you on the books. We had, we, we had talked about you being on the books, but you weren't officially on the books. And then and then Scott McKean, like dude, I'm just really like I, Counselor McKean. Sorry, yeah. Actually, I don't sorry. know. He's so casual. But yeah, he, but he never said call me Scott. So it was so I kept oh, calling him Counselor okay. McKean. And he never was like no, no, just call me Scott. I was hoping he would. Well, I met I had met him once at a at a uh, industry event. What kind of industry? Uh, Best bar none where they basically hand out awards for like there's categories for everything right it's like best pub best small pub best large pub best nightclub best gentleman's club like they yeah they have categories for everything and he was that one by the way (laughs) i don't remember i i want to say it was shade but i don't remember downtown strong right yeah um but he was there and i met him and i was i'd had a couple adult pops in me Mm -hmm. 
adult soft drinks and I was like oh I think I just said I think I probably said Mr. McKean yeah but I felt then that was quite casual and I think I probably may have dropped in a Scott once or twice so yeah. <laughs> Scotty I feel like I'm on that I feel like I'm on the first name basis Scotty but, boy <laughs> yeah I mean and that's the thing you gotta gauge it by like their interaction with you but like I don't know it's better to err on the side of caution always yeah did you listen to the episode with him I did he's yes. interesting guy huh? super interesting yeah um, I thought he really had a cool um outlook on the future of the city mm-hmm. and i know you kind of mentioned about do we have any sort of comparables in the country i mean vancouver and toronto as far as the downtown core building goes mm-hmm. and i liked his outlook about how like how do we keep young people here like why do we why do they take off to vancouver or to toronto or to montreal or whatever yeah. and for myself i mean it's just art scene i mean edmonton does have a great art scene but i mean as far as the writing industry goes mm-hmm. uh it uh, it's hard if unless you're in Toronto, like all the major agencies and ca- Canadian agencies, Canadian publishers, like they're all in Toronto. So mm-hmm. it's like if you really want, and maybe if you're somebody who wants to get into film or somebody who wants to get into, uh, I mean, maybe art as in painting and that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe, fine art. I don't fine. Yeah, I don't really know what the scene is in Edmonton, but. I definitely know for acting, like you want to go to Vancouver, you know, they have the film school there. You want to go to Toronto because there's going to be more studios there. It's just, it's unfortunate in that sense. And I think for a lot of young people, musicians, Montreal is the place to go to, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, to, that was kind of a long way of saying, I really liked his outlook of like knowing that that's sort of the heart of building a city. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really appreciated about him when he was at this Bar None event is that he recognizes that like, the service industry is a big part of building a downtown culture and building a building a a, a foundation for where people are going to want to stay and hang out. And it's going to, you know, people have their opinions of the downtown arena. And mm-hmm. he brought it up yeah. on that podcast. But you know, like it or not, it does stimulate that downtown economy. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's it's hard because you need to you know you can't just like build a great place. You have to like think further and think deeper and be like, okay, what are we going to fill this great place with? Right. It's not just like you have these great buildings and these great courts. Like, okay, but we need to think about the businesses and we need to think, what do people want to do as well? Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, it's gotta be mind numbingly difficult to, to get politics, right. To get development, right. And I think you see like, that's probably why it's such a divisive topic is because so many people have opinions on it but have never been in the position of having to do it. It's, you know, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to Canadian politics because you think, you know, should there be a sort of time limit on how long someone can be in office for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you in the States, eight years for a president, that's the max. Mm-hmm. In, in today's climate, it's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it makes you think that like, man, that's just not really a lot of time to get anything done. And, you know, you have sort of, a regime that will institute something and lay the groundwork for something and then the next one will come in and just totally scrap it and it's right. it almost amazes me sometimes that anything even gets done and the re- what i'm thinking in my mind when i bring that up is the lrt system like it's something that is just feels like again for a big city it's or i shouldn't say for a big city but for a growing city that's a really important thing but edmonton is just so spread out you know there's a big urban sprawl but it's also everyone's just so fixated on being on having that mm-hmm. culture of you own your car, you own your truck, you kind of thing, right? It's 
it's very rare that you have less than a one or two car household mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, well, the thing is to, to yeah. really change, like to have a real paradigm shift, you have to make the alternative undeniably more practical and beneficial and, and more appealing, right? Like, but what's this incentive for a guy who's, or a woman who's in her 40s or 50s, mm -hmm. who's never going to use, who's never used, maybe never used public transit, and all of a sudden you're, you're trying to convince them that this is what we're going to put our... Mm -hmm. tax dollars towards is what we're going to put our spending towards it's really hard yeah but imagine if the system was so convenient that it was appealing to that person right so instead of having an lrt that only takes you to you know what's the the last mile the last mile problem right it's yeah. it's you can get out to these neighborhoods but because they're called the sacks and suburbs yeah. like to get to your actual house you have to have an alternative mode to go from the end of the LRT to you know your house, yeah. But and I, I I preach about this often because I'm a big believer in it. But like you know, if we had an alternative form of transportation like a maglev train, that's half the infrastructure, half the cost, more than twice the efficiency. That could not only could you have the main lines, but you could also have sub like sort of tributaries that that innervate neighborhoods. Yeah. And and like like we're talking like if an LRT track is the size of this house, the width of this house, right? Yeah. You got a track on either side. Literally We're talking like two thousand square square feet by the way listeners that we're, it's a skinny <laughs> house it's a skinny house and a lot of people most people have seen these by now but yeah it's not it's not super wide but i know what you mean but yeah like the the maglev track would be half this size yeah and deathly silent so you could have it right through neighborhoods anyway it's just it blows my mind and you know, that that we don't examine things like i'm gonna <laughs> i reached out to um counselor esslinger Mm -hmm. of Ward 2, which is the ward I'm in. Okay. And also the ward that the Blatchford development is in. Okay. And I read something recently that she said, yep, yeah, we're, we're super close to downtown. We're super convenient for commuters. And we're also going to build LRT. Like that was a, like mm -hmm. a selling feature. Okay. And estimated 2024. <laughs> I'm like, that's five years away. You're, you're still using, like LRT is already an antiquated technology. Yep. It's already old as shit and not efficient. And we've seen... <laughs> How many problems with it? Well, I mean, you're in a winter city and you have above ground rail. Yeah. Like that's just, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot lining up there, but it's cheap. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is when you need to. But Maglev's cheaper. It's half the price because well, the infrastructure <laughs> is half the size. <laughs> this analysis has been done. It blows my mind. Anyway, um, I need to have the, uh, Man, the transport. I need to have the public transit um, commissioner. I don't know what yeah. you call him in this city. Yeah, commissioner. Yeah, sorry. sure. Commish. Yeah, public transit. I gotta get him on here, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Well, listen. I I lived in Toronto for a bit, and the TTC is not, which is their their uh, transit system, the Toronto, Toronto Transit Commission. Commission. Uh, it it it's it's not as uh, far reaching as you would think. Like the, the, the subway was really only like a U sort of like a horseshoe yeah. in the downtown area. You got to use, but they have a good bus system. They have the streetcar system, mm -hmm. which I mean, but it's not, it's not entirely efficient and it's, it's not new either. Like when I was living there, which, and this is going to be about almost three years now, they were just getting new streetcars put in, which were pretty, fucking cool yeah. looking like they're pretty futuristic looking yeah. and Bombardier built but like you know Bombardier is going through a whole restructuring process at the time and they were but and they had 
promised a bunch of these uh, streetcars, I guess, but they were obviously delayed. Fell behind. But they were just instituting them. And this is a system that's like 50 years old. So it's not like people bitch and complain about Edmonton, but (laughs) man... All I ever hear about in people in New York is how gross the subway is. It's it's yeah. big. It's and it's the old one of the oldest in the world. I think it's older than the underground, London Underground. Yeah, or at least close to. I was it. actually wondering that the, when I was there last week. One of the two is old is the oldest, and yeah. they're really close to each other. But mm-hmm. like, it's it's public transit is it's super important. But man, is it not it's easy? Get, right? Yeah, it's not easy. Can I ask you something? Of course, can how many? Shane, you can ask me anything. Uh, wow. Okay. You guys heard it uncensored here with Nick Good. Oh no, that's that's for the uh, the after hours podcast. Oh, right. <laughs> that's for the that's, adult sodas. That's that, that's behind the uh, that's behind the Patreon wall when you uh, when you end up putting one up, right? Don't you giving away all my secrets? <laughs> how, many time, how many times did you almost get blindsided by cars in Toronto coming off that middle of the street streetcar design? Like, is that not the most like insane design? So I use the streetcar every day. Yeah, I lived out in the suburbs. <laughs> I li- I worked downtown and I used the streetcar every day. Yeah. Um, uh, about 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, one way. Mm-hmm. I also made a purchase of uh, noise canceling headphones. Oh. So it was a few times, <laughs> let's just say a few times that, uh, yeah, you, uh, but it's, you know, what's actually hilarious about it though. So on the streetcar, you've obviously, you're somewhat familiar with the, well, you've drove, seen them. I drove there a lot last summer yeah. and I almost mowed down a number of pedestrians so what, and I got very dirty looks for, and I apologize profusely. So that's what I was going to say is what's funny is that on the streetcars on the outside, they have very clear, like stop when the lights come on, do not proceed past the streetcar. I'd say they have them. I wouldn't say that they're very clear. No, they have them. But when someone does violate that, that code, mm. not, it's not just the people who are like on the streetcar it's other drivers like man you are a pariah if you violate that rule like you are not like you, it, i lo- i thought it was pretty hilarious I'm like all right everyone's banded Social together this, yeah this yeah. is this is this is what a real city is built upon is those looking out for one another trust me i felt the wrath of that man yeah. <laughs> and of course the whole crew like we jammed six of us in, or five of us in a ford flex with all our gear in the back oh yeah and the whole crew's just giving me the gear oh yeah right? like like what, did you have a problem with that guy you almost hit like why did you want to oh, kill yeah. him yeah so, oh yeah super dangerous <laughs> but okay so let's let's bring this back speaking of transit let's bring this back on the rails well, okay oh man and that is why you're the host of this podcast that's <laughs> why i'm making the big bucks yeah wow, wow um but i so i want to talk a little bit about writing specifically sure. you mentioned the arts and yep. you mentioned what is important in a city for certain people in different um different professions what would what would a, a writer look for in terms of a city that they live in? I imagine they'd want inspiration. And yeah, they would want um, interesting characters and people. You don't want to live in a boring city as a writer, unless you're writing about a boring place. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound uh, cliched a bit, but uh, every writer is unique. But but <laughs> what I'll say to that is that I guess to bring it up a bit, you're probably going to put this in the preamble. But I myself am a struggling writer. Correct. I went to writing school in Toronto. That's why I moved there. Um, and I guess the biggest thing about it is you want that community, right? Writing is a very lonely profession. Mm. Uh, it, and it, well, it can be a lonely profession. You, you know, you can work in a writer's room. If you are working on a on a on a feature or in a on a movie or That'd something, that'd be a more collaborative environment. Absolutely collaborative, and it can be probably pretty tense too. I imagine I've never worked in one. I've always kind of wanted to, um, but as far as like novel writing goes, book writing, it, it, it's very isolated, right? Mm-hmm. You you're 
and again, it cliched, but when you see these people out at coffee shops, yeah. that's kind of the reason why, because it gives you a little bit of sense of community. At least you're out for myself anyway, I'm speaking for myself, but this is the feeling I got is it's really hard. It can drive you a little nuts when you're locked in your office or your room or wherever you're writing from home, you eat, you sleep, you yeah. work like, well, when I first moved there, I moved there in January, in, in January. So it was middle of winter mm -hmm. and I was isolated pretty much for three months. And it, 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 it you're, uh, you're uh, very successful or maybe not successful, but you're, you, you produce a lot in that time, but it's, it, it's lonely. It, and so you want a little bit of that uh, community feel. So you, maybe you want to go to like a, a place where other writers get together. But the thing that's also funny about it too, is that for a musician, for example, you, you go out to a bar, an open mic night or wherever, and you want to share your music, you want to show what you're doing. Right. You can kind of like, you can test it. Writers keep a lot of stuff close to their vest. Yeah. You always have that like paranoid part of you that's like, you're so passionate about these ideas. You're like, I don't want to share them with anyone until yeah. I actually, until they're, they're, you know, really officially mine, right. which is also an interesting case is like, is art, does art ever really only belong to the artist? Right. That's a kind of liking too. it to like a, a, a business idea, right? Absolutely. It's great in your head and you're scared about sharing it because you're worried about how other people are going to perceive it. Well, here's an interesting thing. So, uh, Wanye Gretz, I'm sure you know from uh, oh, yeah. Oilers Nation. Yeah. So he's a he's a he he's a person I've actually known for a few years. Mm -hmm. Run into him every once in a while, and uh, he's a guy who's on the tech side. And he said to me one time not too long ago, which I find really interesting, which can work for either business models, tech ideas, uh, creative ideas. He he said the best ideas are on someone's hard drive somewhere, <laughs> where they never they never finished it. Right? right. They never they never really uh they kept it so close to the to the vest that they never maybe had the drive or the passion to finish it mm -hmm. but uh that that's really the case though until you feel that it's yours in the sense that like it's been published under your name or it's been or your name is on the the, the idea or the product or the building or whatever you do want to keep it close to you and keep it sort of like locked in a vault almost because you're like i don't want to just you know share these ideas for someone to pick up and take on their own but, right Anyway, I don't know if I really answered your question, but I, I, I don't remember what the question was. Well, it was about it was about like the city environment, about oh, like what's yeah. important. I mean, I think Edmonton. I, I I've grown up here. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I moved to a different city. I've been to different cities around the world. I'm I'm not going to say that Edmonton is like on the same level as a Berlin mm -hmm. or like a or a London maybe, mm -hmm. but. There's not there's a lot of good things that are going for the city and it's definitely moving in a good direction but it's we are definitely in a mentality where I mean I went to the U of A and you see one side of the campus that's the science side and the and the engineering side and the amount and I know it's all sponsorships and it's endorsements and all that kind of stuff and endowments but that side of the campus state of the art those are brand new buildings right gorgeous you go to the arts side of the campus where the education building was where i was or you know tory or these other places and they're they're straight out of 1984 right <laughs> like not not the, not the dystopian uh world that uh, george orwell built i mean the actual year yeah. 1984 they're like decrepit. they are decrepit and it's and it just shows sort of where priorities are set mm -hmm. so it's hard to look at that as somebody who wants to pursue that and you go well, is there really going to be any sort of investment in me mm -hmm. as a person? It's practicality. People are so focused on practicality, right? 
So, but it's it's you know what changes in the technology of writing. I mean, like when you look at science, you're writing on a computer rather than a right compu- than a typewriter, I guess. So, I mean, to play devil's advocate, it's like, well, why do you need a new building or what? I get like there's the the sense of belonging or the the sense of meaning, but I, I can see why funds might be more quickly devoted to you know the STEM. Fields. Yeah, it's it's more. Let's. I'm going to use a. a, a a word I feel is really hot right now. Oh. Optics. optics. It's the optics of it, Shane. Yes. So it's it's not necessarily that you need the new building. It's to show that like there's actually like investment in what you're right. doing is is valued. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling you get. It's like well, like shit, man. Like uh, these guys. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to get into like a whole debate over the sciences and the arts. Like whatever. They're both both hold weight in, in a in a mm-hmm. civilized society. Let's yeah. say. Well, they kind of they kind of play off one another. They don't do. They? Well, absolutely. Like, you know, the arts, a lot of science fiction writing. I was just about to say, science fiction doesn't exist without the science or the fiction. But I beat you to it. Yeah, well, that's what, it's your podcast, you're the host. (laughs) You let me have that one. No, 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 you're just, you're quicker. Well, it's interesting, yeah, like, because our actions, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we're we're faced with basically unlimited potential and and we, we, you know, speak and act things into existence based on what we do. So it makes sense that, you know, we're only as good as the thoughts that we have. Mm-hmm. And the more creative the thoughts, the more creative the ideas, the more creative and productive our society can be. Yeah, uh, you know. So I guess also what I was getting was kind of getting back to is when I was bringing up Edmonton is I think there are there is good infrastructure for the arts that that is set up. Um, but it's, it's very niche. But I guess maybe that's just... Maybe that's just art in general, right? Mm-hmm. It's always going to be niched at it. It's <coughs> Excuse me. No. <coughs> Coffee went down the wrong Oh, throat. there you go. Um, but, well, and I lost my question there. Is there, no, I have it. Is there a certain, <laughs> is there a certain subset of, of artists that almost relish that, that, that like that sort of, um, oh, what do you call it? That alternative sort of lifestyle, sure. you know, they, they off the beaten trail. They, they like to be counterculture. Like, you know, I, I feel like that's... Okay, that's an interesting topic that we can bring up though is the counterculture. Okay. And you kind of talk again with Councillor McKean, you, talk, you spoke to you about the idea of comedy, like mm-hmm. modern day comedy. Mm-hmm. Counterculture is the idea of being sort of edgy and being a little... Uh, maybe even avant-garde, right? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do that nowadays. What does that mean? Well, like you said, sort of push boundaries, right? Like avant-garde? To, yeah. Okay. To sort, yeah, to sort of like, to, to push boundaries, to be a little bit, a little uh, different. And it's harder to do that nowadays, right? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but for myself. It's harder because. On my, on my podcast, Two Man Booth, yeah. subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Soon to be on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you constantly have this idea, I don't know, but again, I don't know about you, but you have this worry in your head. It's like, oh man, am I saying something? Am I going on a topic that's going to somehow be viewed as being, you know, not as progressive or liberal as it should be. Right. And I'm not saying that, that, that that's how everyone should be thinking, but it's like, you kind of have to be conscious of it in, in some effect. So to go back to the idea of what you're talking about with counterculture, and we can we can talk about that uh, about uh, commodification too. Is does counterculture really exist anymore? Right. Or is it just sort of an a new, another brand? Yeah. 
Well, we've just man. man. Is it just something else that the man has taken over? Well, yeah. I mean, we're so mishmashed nowadays. Uh It's like, is there really, you know, like cultural boundaries? Like, yeah, there's certain places in the world that are far behind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you go to London, you go to, I haven't been to Germany, but I imagine it's similar. You go to many of like the world-class cities and like it feels like, you know, other than different languages, like Mm -hmm. it feels pretty comparable to, to other cities that I've been to. Like just spent time in London and it's like, yeah, like you see the same kind of coffee shops and you see the same brunch places and you see the same type of modern gastro resto pubs, things like that. For like two or three times the price that you're paying here, but but they're the same. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's just like, we've become such a global village that that there's not a ton of like niche stuff anymore. Man, I was in, I was in Spain years like years ago with my family, and we went to this little town called La Ronda, mm-hmm. up in the mountains, up this winding road. Like you're car sick by the end of it getting up there, and you get into this little tiny town square. And what's one of the first things you see? McDonald's. There it is. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, you didn't even have to. It was I one know. of two things: McDonald's or Starbucks. Yeah, right. That was my second. Guess. And yeah, no, there's a McDonald's right there yeah. in this little town. You're right. It's like no, nothing is sacred anymore, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's. There's there's tribes in the in the Amazon who have barely had contact with humans when they have like satellite phones kind of thing, right? It's so pumpkin spice latte season, yeah. fellas. <laughs> Is it? No, it's spring now. <laughs> What's the spring drink? It's gonna be something with lavender. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say lavender, some sort of some sort of rose water or something. I'm sure mm, cherry blossom. Cherry maybe, blossom. Perhaps yeah. we don't have those. We're not fortunate enough to have those here. No. Or do we? I don't know. I don't think so. Not like Vancouver. This time of year is bleak. I was noticing that it's driving around. Like pressing once there, once with the trees are in that in between period where it's like they're not ready to grow yet. Yeah. And but there's not. There's enough light now that you just see how yeah. <laughs> how stark it's looking, especially that the one road by your place here. It's got that really nice, like almost like tree tunnel. Yeah. But there's no leaves on the trees, it so it's like just like skeleton. Yeah, it's like, like something out of nightmare before Christmas. Christmas. Right? Oh yes. Oh man. <laughs> I know it is. What's bleak. this? What's this? <laughs> it's dirty. It's 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 yeah. muddy. It's it's still kind of cold. It's windy as shit, and all the dust from the street gets in your. But eyes. Shane, if we don't have times like this, then we don't appreciate the lush and beauty. It's exactly right now. Of springtime. Everything and beautiful summertime. is fleeting. Oh, just like this life of ours, right? What? <laughs> what what, uh, what? made you want to be a writer? Well, what How makes... you raised? What makes anyone... Well, I read a lot as a kid. You read a lot. Definitely. What did you read? Uh, what was the first book you remember reading? Wow, what a question. Yeah. Um, I, the first sort of, I guess... I'd like to say I had that one prepared. Series but. that I can... Can you remember the first book you ever read? I remember the first series. I remember the first series too. Actually. Goosebumps was one of the first ones that I read. I, think I just looked at the pictures in that one. <laughs> yeah, so I remember reading those for sure in like grade two or three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's kind of it's funny that I even read those because I was never really into horror as a kid. Like I was, I was a bit of a skittish kid. I like horror movies now, but yeah. uh, as a kid, I never really liked them. But I really liked those Goosebumps books. Yeah. Um, and then I remember there's a series called The Bailey School Kids, the which Bailey School Kids. which is also about like monsters and stuff. Like they always they always had the ones where it was like the Bailey School Kids and the monster of the mountains or something, right? There was always some sort of alliteration, and there was always some different creature oh, okay. that was like in the every bear book. Bears and something, something, something. 
Isn't it Berenstein Bears? Berenstein. No, we're, just, we're, not, we're getting to the paradox, but. <laughs> Oh yeah, because yeah. what what is the thing with? Well, that? there's there's the Berenstein Bears or the Bernstein. There's where the way that it's spelt, but the other one is the Mandela the Mandela paradox, where people there's like people who are convinced that Nelson Mandela died in jail. Yeah, like no, he died in jail. I remember that it was a big news, and then the rest of the world is like, well, no, he got out of jail and he became president, president of South yeah. Africa. But so it's this whole idea that we're living in these paradoxes, where like our is this whole idea of quantum. Reality mechanics that we're we're sort of like we're, we're like bridging and we're we're right. passing through one another. Yeah, but hold it hurts on. my head. So was there ever a discernible incident where it got reported that he died in prison? Yeah. Well, there's no, but Not there's the people. Bears I'm talking about. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, the Berenstein Bears the died Bears, in prison. First of all, they went to prison. <laughs> yeah. You never read that one? Yeah. The Berenstein Bears commit uh, white collar crime and, and homemade chips. <laughs> The, the Berenstein Bears, uh, the Fast Five or whatever, right? Um, okay, but so no, so Mandela I, jail. From what I remember is that there was there's just people who you're looking it up. No, no, I'm gonna take notes. <laughs> there's people who are convinced that it happened, and it's the the other theory is that there's just just the idea of um, the like, pure thought, the idea that like you sort of convince one another that something happened when it, when it never did. The mind's an incredible thing, right? Sort of like around this idea of uh, flashbulb, uh, flashbulb trauma, mm -hmm. where it's like major events that have happened over history, right? So you would talk about like Pearl Harbor or JFK, JFK assassination, exactly. Or uh, one that's not political, but like John Lennon's death. Yeah. Things where moments where people are like, oh, I remember where I was when this happened. Yeah. Uh, biggest one, obviously, probably in modern history is 9 11. Yeah. What would you, you call them? Flashbulb memory? Fl flashbulb trauma. Flashbulb so trauma. so it, was, I, I, it was a podcast that uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did mm. in his revisionist history podcast. Mm -hmm. And he talked about this idea that like people remember these events and they're like, I can remember clearly what happened, where I was. Mm. And the idea that memory is absolutely fallible. Mm -hmm. So what the whole experiment was is people after 9-11, they were like, I, I remember that morning I got up, I, I got my oatmeal, um, my coffee was brewing and I turned on the TV and I remember the second tower falling. Mm -hmm. It was, and it was like, I remember, I'll never forget it. And then like four months or five months later, they asked the people again, mm -hmm. like, oh, so tell us about that morning again. They're like, yeah, I remember I woke up late. I, uh, oh. I, 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 I remember I couldn't get my coffee. So I, I was going to get a coffee around the corner. Mm -hmm. And as I left the house, I heard something on the radio. It's like, well, no, 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 that's, I thought you mentioned something about how like you got your oatmeal. Like, no, no, definitely not. Like I don't, I don't really, really eat oatmeal. Yeah. And it's this whole thing that like people, like their, their memory of the event is completely skewed. That's wild. Yeah. It's, it's insane. So the idea is that like when these moments happen that sort of transcend, uh, I don't want to say societies, but like sort of like transcend a, 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 a large, large, large group of people mm -hmm. that we sort of convince ourselves that uh, the moment itself is so serious in our mind that we think that the events around it are also, but they're not. Right. It's just the event itself that we we remember, and we we sort of want to fill in the details to make it feel like. Uh, the moment was really lived in. Right. It, it's really, it's, really fascinating. It's almost like you could call those instances where history was was calcified instantaneously. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, because like, 
because you know you think about Donald Trump like him getting elected as president isn't the moment right like that's not what we're going to remember historically I have a wild story about that about myself actually okay <laughs> um, but just so I can finish this yeah, thought of course, otherwise of it'll drive me nuts that, that doesn't get calcified as, as the moment of history. What we'll remember in history is his tenure as president. But when the towers fell, when it was announced that Michael Jackson died, things like that, those get instantly across the world. For sure. That's the moment of history, right? For sure. Interesting. Um, so the Trump thing, I was, uh, I was in... Get your oats. No, I wasn't. I definitely not. I was, uh, we were in Lisbon. I was with a couple of buddies who were in Lisbon and we had to take an overnight train to Madrid. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was like the only way other than flying to get there. And it was an overnight train. It was like 10 hours or something, but this train was like delayed for hours. Like it, I think it ended up taking us like 16, 17 hours to get to Madrid all through the night. Couldn't really sleep because we didn't get a sleeping, sleeping, uh, compartment because they were all taken up because we didn't book our tickets to like the day before mm -hmm. so we're in these seats trying to get comfortable like not really getting a good sleep no cut off right like no wi-fi or any we didn't have none of us had like european travel packages on our phone so we're just like cut off and that was the night of the election mm -hmm. and so we get to madrid finally it's like just tired uh we get onto the subway to go to where our hostel is and i remember looking over and like i i took uh junior high spanish Shout out to Mrs. Gallagher, but I uh, didn't, didn't do so well. Um, so like I have, I have, I have broken understanding of it. Right. And I remember looking over at somebody reading the newspaper yeah. and on the front, on the front page was a picture of Hillary and Bill no and they're worries. smiling yeah. and they're kind of waving. And I'm like, okay, America made the right choice. Like <laughs> it, we were worried there for a bit, but like, no, like Hillary won. And I remember turning to my buddies and being like, Hey, look, Hillary, Hillary's president. They're yeah. like, Oh, cool. All right. So we finally get to our hostel, we check in. I think they like gave us a beer at the front desk and we all go up to our room and we kind of lay down on our on the beds and start, you know, uh, plugging in, right? Yeah. Going on yeah, social Back media. on Wi-Fi, everyone can rest easy. And we're all kind of like, I remember like the feeling in the room was all collective where we're like, uh, oh, like you see the first yeah. post and then you see well, the next wrong. post. Well, that's wrong too. And then somebody finally, one of the guys goes, I think Trump actually won. And I was like, holy fuck yeah i think he did <laughs> and it was just this inc this weird feeling of being so cut off right. from that part of the world and like yeah. obviously like it was such a major event mm -hmm. happening and just being all this like crazy tape delay of like not even realizing what had happened and then just being like holy shit Dude, you like, literally experienced the butterfly effect yeah. Like, yeah. Your, reality there was a for, yeah. your reality for a little <laughs> bit diverged and that's a really interesting point because they say like you know, there's the there's the so that Sam, I'll never forget. There's the Sam Harris Jordan Peterson debate of like sure. of like is is our morals facts and our facts morals and is is it reality like our Jordan argues that perception alters what facts are right like our sure. perception alters the reality what things that we expect to happen and and um, and so yeah that's a really interesting you literally lived your life for a period of time in a different reality. I got a question. So obviously, I've heard you mention before you're a big fan of Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the value is in sort of like deconstructing our, our ideas, like those sorts of ideas, like what our morals are, what our facts are, what our realities are? Like, what, what do you think the value is in that? I think it... Is it, it just a debate topic? 
No, not at all. Like these are these are questions that are very important to people. Like, like I, I, okay, like like, like but why? to the point of religiously sure. important to to certain people. Never said important that way before. In my life. <laughs> yeah, um, it's tough to say, obviously, because I'm not a guy who who studies the foundational, um, mm-hmm. you know, the foundational nature of these topics. But I think my my suspicion is it allows them to build up and formulate, you know, the the ideas that they put forward that that create meaning for the rest of the world. Like like we know, you know, we know people that go through life. And they just things just happen to them, mm-hmm. and they just. I, actually, I was talking to, to um, I was talking about this the other day, and like literally, people will just take the opportunities that come their way. They never, they never make a decision. They never pick a target and 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 direct their actions and their energy towards that. Right? Yeah, and and so I think people studying these kind of you know nature, the foundational nature of human existence, I think really empowers us. And obviously, the average person can't devote that amount of time to studying it. But they they study it so deeply that they're able to distill these principles down into easily easily digestible rules for life, if yeah. you will, or, or or thoughts you know that can be consumed by the masses. Like Sam Harris's, he wrote a really great book on. It's just called Lying, Lying by Sam Harris, and it's like a short 70, 80 page book, and it's about how corrosive even the littlest of white lies can be in your life. And you read it and you're like, Fuck, I never want to lie again, right? And it's, if you would ne- if no one was studying these topics, then who knows where the world would be? I mean, the world gets pulled, sure. pulled and pushed in so many different directions. But if you didn't mm-hmm. have the people, the academics who are, who are really digging and asking the hard questions, the Aristotles and... and well, and, that's what I was going to say. It's been happening for... Exactly. It feels like cradle of civilization. Yeah, and look in how big Greece. of an impact those people have made. So we might not even fully understand like Sam Harris's moral landscape. And I don't really even understand, can see what that fully is. But we might look back in 50 years once that idea has been fleshed out and their, their thoughts and their debates have been cemented into history and maybe one day taught in school. And maybe yeah. they're like, wow, we were way off about how to live our lives in 20, 2019. And now in 2060, you know, based on the principles of Peterson or Harris, it's like civilization is far more productive and meaningful. I guess sort of, you're right, for sure. I think that... I don't know if that no, 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 no. For sure. Philosophy is, that's the that's the point of it, right? Is it's to, it's to prod at the minutia of life, basically, right? Like, what is what is the purpose of our, of our existence, if you want to get to existentialism and all that sort of thing? But I just mean more just, more on like a, on a grounded level where you, where you talk about certain debate points mm-hmm. do they do they serve a real purpose sometimes like I, I mean i know it's overwrought but you know jordan pearson's whole thing about uh, uh personal identification right is there is there a real purpose of breaking that down or is it just does it just sort of cause more anxiety does it just sort of like bleed more in, more anxiety into into a society that already is sort of caffeinated with enough of it right i understand the question i think in that particular case with the identification and gender pronouns it wasn't that he was trying to break anything down it was that he was he was resisting the government's insistence sure. and compulsion of people using. he doesn't want it centralized basically right well it's it would be the first time in british common law that yeah. that the government ever compelled speech and that, yeah. and as someone who studied the atrocities of the 20th century yeah. and, and the Holocaust, first thing that goes is free speech. Exactly. But so. at the same time, 
okay, we can get into this. Do, do you not think that at some point the government does need to sort of set some boundaries a bit? Now, here I'm a person who believes in, obviously, like you should be able to sort of talk about, be able to talk about anything and have a a, a civil discourse about it. Mm-hmm. But we got to understand that we don't live in a world where that where that is the case. I look at Twitter, for example. Mm-hmm. Twitter built its platform the physical platform and its sort of political platform on the idea that you know this is a place for free speech it's a public forum and you're going to take the good parts of it and the bad parts of it yeah now donald trump and we want to get it we can get into all these different things but donald trump is a the one of the biggest reasons why he got to where he is is because of the attention that media gave him Mm -hmm. cnn kept putting him on on the screen you know fox they're they're in they're in the bag right they're dropping they're the they're the Arizona University dropping the bag for DeAndre Ayton to come there, right? Like I don't Sean understand Miller. that reference, they're, they're, but, I, but I believe you. Okay, we want to talk about the Lori Laughlin, uh, 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 Felicity Huffman scandal right now in the States, right? They're the ones paying to get their kids into university, right? right? Fox is in the bag for, for, for gotcha. Trump. Doesn't make sense. But, you know, CNN. And the biggest thing, too, is his Twitter, his Twitter account. People are like, man, look how ridiculous this guy is. Look at the things he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, doesn't Twitter have a responsibility to be like, you know what, this person is evil, mm-hmm. despite what this whole thing is supposed to be like, we're just gonna disable his account. Mm-hmm. Do you not think at some point that they need to take that take that stand? Well, Twitter has done that. They've drawn a line in the sand when it comes well, to- Well, Alex Jones. Well, yeah, they're, they're But several. I'm saying like, disable Donald Trump's account. Why? What has he done wrong? He's not done anything wrong, but you can't say that him having that has not led to his popularity. Right, but so what's the problem? There's a lot of people that think he, and I first let me preface this by saying, I don't know if he's good or bad as a president. As a person, I think he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's uh, maybe he's uh, one of those idiot geniuses who he pretends to be stupid, but he's really smart, like mm. a cat. Like Certainly not. Colombo. Certainly not. But... Um, but but so so what if, so what if that's the case? I mean, it, it was started as a, a place for public discourse, and and so I don't see why he's broken any rules or why he should be removed from it. Um, I'm not saying he broke any rules, and I, and I'm not saying that's the reason why. This I'm saying that there needs to be a little bit when we come to this whole free speech thing. Mm-hmm. It just it becomes so just. I don't. We're, if we want to say that we're an advanced society, then I think we should be able to go into a, a place or an, a concept or an abstract and be like, we can place some limitations on certain things, right? Like, we should be able to be like, yes, this is this is a place of free speech, and yes, Twitter exists as a place of free speech, and no, Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong, but like, this person is just. We're just going to make an exception and be like, you know what? Donald Trump, you're just dis- you're disabled, and then there's the, going to be an outcry, and going to be like, well, then we're, it's a slippery slope. Where does it end? What 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 constitutes um, you being able to say and not say things? Let me tell you, Shane, being the fucking president of the United States, yeah. that's where you draw the line because that's one person out of the. 300, 400 million people that live there, right? That's the line. That one person. Okay. That, that's De- Devil's advocate. So you're arguing that maybe he should be banned because he's an idiot and he shouldn't be president and Twitter allowed him to be president. But if he really is... I'm not saying Twitter allowed him, but it, a, it, it, it helped you know grease the rail to him yeah, getting to the final station. For, for sure. But if that's the case and he really is an idiot, don't you believe to give people enough rope to hang themselves with? 
Like, yeah. wouldn't you say that that illuminates the fact that he is incompetent and incapable of being president and that it won't go any farther than his first term? Uh, no, because, okay, that's a whole other topic. I think that we're in for another four years of Trump in 2020, personally. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's exactly. just, his. well, his base is just so strong and he's just, he's, conservatives, the Republicans, for whatever reason, are not turning on him. He, they, they are, they are under the party whip and that's not going to change. And the Democrats are totally fractured on the other side. There's way too many candidates. It's just, it's just going to, it's, they're doing themselves a disservice. It's going to, and I'm not any sort of, mm-hmm. uh, expert on American politics. I actually try to stay away from as much as possible. Sound like, you know, at least, I don't at even least watch that. I don't even try to watch the news anymore. I actually don't watch the news anymore. It's just mm-hmm. fucking depressing. But no, we we are moving towards uh, a, a, definitely another term, I think. Okay. But to get back to the whole speech thing is just I just feel like at some point it's okay to set limitations. On, I'm, nobody is saying that like, and I, let me let me go back and also say I kind of agree with Jordan Peterson on the fact that like yeah the government maybe shouldn't be setting law or centralizing the fact of like. Mm-hmm how people should be addressed and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere down the line, I don't think it's going to be so bad Mm -hmm. to have certain limitations placed on some things. I mean, there's a reason why certain words are, they're not, they're not illegal to say, and maybe it's more of the, the the global community has agreed that that there are certain things that just can't be said anymore. Mm -hmm. But I know. I think that there's nothing wrong with limitations being set at some points right. on, on certain things. I think there's there's a dis, there's always seems to be a distinction between what you're allowed to do and what you should do, right? And yeah, the allowed to do is a lot more is a lot murkier, right? Like yeah. there's always legal loopholes, and 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 we all understand that. What you should do, and and I think these are the things that Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris are kind of tackling, is okay. We've got the law; mm-hmm. we understand that, and that's set by precedent and hundreds of years. It's of in, history. The, in the philosophical way. What you ought to do is what yeah. they often say, right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and I mean, especially in morals and ethics. And, yeah, and you know, people not necessarily to as a fault of their own are, are raised with different values and goals, and and a lot of them are um, not conducive to a healthy soul let's say yeah the sure commercialism of, of the 20th century and and you know our our just consumerism and all those things that we thought and our parents thought were the right way to live that mm-hmm. we needed to buy things to get to be happy and we've clearly seen that that's been disproven right there's yeah. plenty of people with nothing that are much happier than people with everything so I think those are the types of things that they tackle. It's like, all right, let's cut the bullshit. Like, let's find out what's important to the human soul. And I know in Sam's case, like, because he's a staunch atheist, right? Mm-hmm. He he is trying to he's trying to show a path towards um, uh, to more towards a moral life apart from religion because of the atrocities committed in the name of religion, right? So that's I think that's his primary goal, if I understand it correctly. But there can be a distinction there, though. In what way? I think people can live a religious life. I'm not religious whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but I think people can live a religious life without being fanatics. A hundred percent agree. He is. He is saying. I think he contends that people would be better off if 
there were no religion and people did things because it was morally the right thing to do mm-hmm. versus because it was so now now Jordan Peterson kind of he argues on the side of religion but but more in the sense of these religious stories are actually archetypes of the human um, condition and species and, and and they're not necessarily um, they're not necessarily like true in the sense of like this actually happened there's a guy in the sky and he's on mission yeah but they're true in, in the sense of like these things evolved in in our innermost brain these archetypal well, some, stories and sure you know, the, the yeah. redeemer and the father and 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 you know facing the dragon and, and yeah. conquering the things that are in the dark you know everything can be traced back to the epic of Gil- gilgamesh which was written in mesopotamia mm-hmm. and basically the flood the flood uh the flood story like noah's ark that mm-hmm. sort of thing the trials of hercules all these ancient stories can basically be tracked to that um you know in fact like with with if you want to talk about christianity in general second testament the book of revelation was written like way after the fact after right. the after the second testament was yeah. was initially written basically to put the fear of god into people to follow christianity right yeah. And this is in the time of the Rome and the Roman Empire under Nero, and Christians were out, were just uh, being murdered, were being put into mm-hmm. lion pits and stuff like that. They had a rough. Yeah, they, sure, but I mean, I, I see what you mean about how it basically it's more of just like the storytelling, mm-hmm. right? And that's and that's what it is. It, it's it people love storytelling. History is storytelling. Yeah, we have an oral oral history, right? Like that's how we remember history, things before we could write things down. History itself is storytelling. You know, the best the best stories of in history are that's the reason why they make movies mm-hmm. out of them, right? So um yeah, I don't know. We went on a huge fucking tangent there. Where do, where do we the, So the first book I remember reading right. uh, was actually, I remember the story. I can't, it's it's kind of like trying to remember a dream in which you sort of can see and visualize parts of the book that you read that you visualized while, while you're just reading it. Just don't get lost in your dreams. But hey, don't become an old man. Where's Don't my become an old man waiting to die filled with regret. Oh, with regret. Thanks. Uh, oh, I forget the guy's name from the movie. Cato. Cato. No, what's his real name? The actor? Oh, uh, I, I can't remember either. Um, but anyway, uh, it was about a guy on some alien planet and he got absorbed by like a sphere. Whoa. There were spheres in it. Whoa. And it was really popular. Yo, this is trippy, trippy and, then, and, then, and then his <laughs> DNA got like put into like an alien and he like evolved as a different type of creature. This sounds like Scientology. <laughs> this is my first book of Scientology. And it, then also there was this a, is like H.G. Wells or something. And then there was also a, a Christian series about like a future dystopian where I think there was like they were on a quest for something. There was a bunch of those books. But anyway, if, cool. anyone, if anyone listening can remember what those really, really <laughs> random hints were. Christian know. dystopia. Yeah. Hunting for, what were they looking for? Like the Holy Grail? Yeah, they were looking for like artifacts or something like that. Cool. And there's bad guys and I don't know. Man, I don't know about anything. I don't remember anyway, any of those. So tell us, tell us how the writing career is going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going okay. You mentioned uh, earlier struggling writer. Yeah, so, so I, basically when I moved to Toronto, I, in my writing school, I basically had to be working on a manuscript. Mm-hmm. You have to submit a portfolio of what you're working on, what you want it, how much, basically, where it's going to go, how much you're going to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that. 
you have, you don't really go to class. You basically just have a mentor. It was called a mentor author who mm-hmm. basically like will look over parts of your manuscript. You're the one who basically decides what's going to be looked over. So the way he put it, he's like, it was an eight, eight month program, eight month after degree program, nine months, somewhere in there. And basically he's like, over these nine months, you can have me look over the same chapter the entire time. And we'll just like work that rework that over and over and over Mm -hmm. or you can submit as much as you want and i will try to cover as much of it as i can throughout that time period i took the latter route because i wanted to get as much feedback as possible Mm -hmm. finished that manuscript um submitted it to to agencies and uh mostly just agencies not to any not directly to any publishers Mm -hmm. uh and basically you know the problem with rejection yeah. nowadays is that because they get so many submissions, you don't even get like the rejection letters in the mail anymore. You just get static. Yeah. So basically what they say is if you don't hear from us after, I think it's like 12 weeks. So three months, yeah. uh, we've basically decided to pass on your, on your work. Yeah. So that I think I, sub- yeah, it's a lot of, and that's the hardest part about it. Right. So I think I submitted to three or four, obviously nothing happened. Uh, had my spirit pretty crushed. Yeah. Uh, I ended up staying in Toronto for a lot longer than I expected to. Uh, and then eventually just made the choice to come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, being closer to family and friends was important. So I came back and in that time since I've been just basically trying to, at first I thought about reworking that manuscript, that first one, rewrite it, submit it. But I also had some feedback from someone who, uh, through my, through my dad, who's had, uh, a uh, book of hers, a uh, children's book published. And basically her advice to me was, she asked me how long my manuscript was. It was 100, 120,000 words. Mm-hmm. She was Jesus. like, she's like, you got to honestly for a, for a uh, debut manuscript, you got to cut that below 100,000. Like most people aren't going to look at it if it's that long. Right. How many pages would that be in terms of like a novel? Manuscript pages, I believe, is somewhere around 350. Okay. Manuscript pages. That'll be when you convert it to novel, it'll be about 500. No, no, no. So you're 120,000 words. Yeah. You said, so how many pages would that be? Yeah. So about 300 and 350 manuscript pages, which are always longer. Yeah. So if condensed to novel size, it'd be about 500. Jeez. Yeah. That's a, that's a thick book. Yeah. So, so basically her advice was to go back, edit it, cut, like basically trim some fat out of it. And I yeah. thought about doing that, but you know, you get to a point where you look over that thing so many times, re-rate, reread it, go over it. I was just tired of going, looking yeah. at it. So since then, I've been trying to, I've been working on something new, mm-hmm. a little bit uh, grander idea. Mm-hmm. So a lot uh, longer in the sense that it's kind of broken up into multiple parts. So it's been a lot, it's hard to sort of, I've been finding it hard to focus yeah. on getting one part of it finished, right. but that's basically what I've been working on for the past few months now. Um, so is it going to be a series? Yeah, that's the idea. Is it's going to be? So you got told to cut it down, and that you're making something bigger. Yeah, well, but but <laughs> you know what? What is what is ambition without being a little bit idiotic, right? So um, let me ask you then: What was the? I mean, there's countless stories of of manuscripts being rejected 20, 30 times before mm-hmm. they ever truly get picked mm-hmm. up. And and then stories of books that got published but really didn't hit. And then like, 50 years later, yeah. they become popular. Stranger Things like is the modern one where it like, got rejected by every studio, right? Until yeah. Netflix was basically like, yeah, I guess we'll take a shot at it kind of right. thing, right? So, yeah. So, wait, how do you reconcile like 
the crushing weight of rejection. Like, dude, it happens to everybody. I know. Well, see, and I've, I've told, I've said this to people before. It's you get to a point where you get inside your head and you start thinking like, you remember like back when, uh, uh, American Idol was was new sure. and when people the first few episodes were the auditions people yeah. love watching those and you saw these people who were like these like the William Hungs yeah who like were awful but were just convinced that they were good and they couldn't believe that they were being rejected yeah. they're like I don't understand right you start thinking to yourself like am I one of those crazy people on American Idol who like <laughs> I'm actually True. fucking terrible at this yeah. but I think I'm good mm-hmm. and like I just need someone to tell me like dude move on like Fair. go back to school <laughs> go, go go get a go get a business degree or something right it's kind of, yeah so it's back and forth i'm sure right yeah so like, you so how many people who succeeded got told that and, and they just said hey you know what fuck you i'm gonna keep going and that's kind of what you have to do yeah and it's what I've, i'm trying to get back on the track of doing and just working at it because i you know i'll be honest i go back i read some more stuff I'm like no this is really good like there's something here and i you know i i still read a lot and i read other books and i'm like i think on some level, I can be comparable to some of these other people that I, that I read, and there's I, there's something there, right? It's just there's some quote I want to say it's Margaret Atwood or somebody, one of one of the famous authors, where she says it doesn't matter about the amount of talent you have, about how good your idea is. The biggest thing about being in this industry is having a thick skin, yeah. being rejected over and over again, and just having you know, as a lot of athletes like to say. Uh, Betting on yourself, yeah, right. Well, the second best answer you can hear is no, right? Sure, it's yeah. Better to know and then move on and, yeah. and then revise, right? Instead of a maybe or eh, you know, like we're lukewarm on this. But right? that's a big reason why I love doing the my podcast and doing this, these sort of things because it's still a creative vein, right? Like especially so on on, on mine, you know, I, Neil Neil is my co-host. We do a lot of two man booth by the way. The two man booth, yeah. Tunes and <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you for play. that. Thank you for that plug. <laughs> Um, we, uh, we, we, the first few episodes we've done movies and, sh- and shows, um, TV shows, um, we do, we do touch on sports and we're going to do some more of that as well. And I like having that mixed bag, but especially doing the movie stuff, like some of the favorite, my favorite episodes I like doing is we do one called Oscars Revisited. We go back and we watch, a, we pick a year and we watch the best pictures from that year. And then we kind of discuss them and be like, did the right movie win? Like in hindsight, did the right movie win? We've done 05 already. Mm-hmm. We're going to release 97. How do you pick the years? Is the uh, most controversial ones? That's why we did 05 yeah. because that was the year that Crash won. Yeah. And Neil wanted to do that one because he's like, man, Crash is fucking awful. And rewatching <laughs> it. Oh my God. That is movie, it bad? Oh my God. I can't. I'm like, again, I'm not like, I'm not Roger Ebert here. I'm not some movie. We, and we, we approach these movies as like just being fans of movies, not like real critics, but I can't believe that movie won best picture. Mm-hmm. Like it blows my fucking mind. Who did, man. It, who did it beat out? Uh, well, Brokeback Mountain was the one that everyone yeah. says we should have won. And it, it is, it's a superior film for sure. It's, it's smaller. It's slower. It's crashes has so much going on. And there's some actors in there like, Sandy Bullock, I can't believe she's in that movie. Like, what are you doing? Like, just... Miss Congeniality, what's I, wrong with her? No, she's... That's what I'm saying. She's great. I can't believe she's in that movie. Uh, like, her role in it is just ridiculous. Um, so, anyway, we picked them, yeah, maybe based on controversy. Uh, just movie... Like, the, the movies we like. Like, we picked 97 because that year Goodwill Hunting is there. Titanic is the year... that That's the year Titanic won. Yeah. Just good movies to go back and watch. Right. Uh, and then the next one we're going to do is 07, which is... Uh, it's got some... 
uh, There Will Be Blood mm-hmm. and uh, No Country for Old Men, Juno. Yeah. So, you know, what year did Hurt Locker win? Hurt Locker won, uh, I want to say, 09. And that beat out... That was the first that year... That beat we, out Avatar, right? Well, that was the first year there were 10 nominees, I believe. Versus... Five. Oh, seriously? They doubled it? Yeah. And the whole controversy was because uh, The Dark Knight, the year that Heath Ledger won, The Dark Knight, everyone... Th- thought it was going to be nominated for best picture and the academy said that basically it was like the sixth nominee mm-hmm. so they're like well we got to correct this because there's a lot of backlash so they expanded it now it the, the way they have it is it doesn't have to be 10 nominees it can be up to 10 nominees gotcha. so five to ten so some years there's seven some years there's eight some years there's just shit movies yeah like personally i think they should go back to five like just having the 10 is just dumb it just it's sort of like dilutes. It's like the gender pronouns it's getting too confusing well no and then, but it just it dilutes it's, it's like the democratic nominees let's go back to that it just it just splits too many of the vote that gotcha. really a lot of time the best movie does end up winning right um which is kind of the controversy this year with green book um but yeah so anyway i what i was saying is i like doing those ones because it, it keeps me in that creative mindset where i can go and i can watch and be in be in that uh yeah in that mindset where i'm thinking about how they're being made how you know the work that's going into it and the storytelling that's being done and it keeps me in that creative mindset which is really nice and it's a nice break from working in an industry job that can make <laughs> you want to smash your head against a, a bar sometimes. Yeah, we uh, the bartending gig. I just I worked a shift last night and I was telling you about that. Yeah. It's just it can be soul crushing. Well, it can be a lot of fun. Shane, as you like to say, we're in the master class now. So it, it's class. hard on the old have you, uh, bro- have you broken thirty or you're almost there? In June. In June. In June yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, we're in a different division. So it's hard. It's hard on the old bones. Sometimes you yeah. wake up, you got a little soreness in the spine. Your closing is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I was there till two thirty last night. Yeah, you're just like, Ugh, what am I doing? You're like wiping the bar, yeah, and cleaning and emptying the wells, and it's just, yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because like being away for for twelve days, I was I was looking forward to coming back and working and making money, and then like two shifts in, I'm like, oh, oh I man, gotta, I gotta not do this anymore. I know, I but know. Saturday was fun. Saturday when you don't have to close, when you're there for like seven and a half hours, and it's busy the whole time, and and you're there's a good vibe. It can be great. Right? And you know, and that's the thing to go back to the whole creative thing is like that's why people work these jobs, right? The hours are flexible. You make good good money in the time that you're working. And again, to go back to the isolation thing, it like gets you out, it gets you socializing for myself. That's why it was, it was really good that I did that when I was living in Toronto because I didn't know anyone in the city, excuse me. And it was a good way to meet people and get, get out there and have a bit of a social life. So yeah, there, there's definitely positive aspects to it. Mm-hmm. And I think as a young person, it's really good, but you, you, I don't know about you, but you sort of start to feel that tension as you get a little bit as you move out of your 20s, you feel that it's like, I, don't, I just can't have the same kind of fun that I used to yeah, have, it's right? It's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. For, like you said, for a lot of people, young people, it can be good, but I think it can be really bad and negative and, and offer a lot of distractions. Like how many people have we seen that go through move, move through their 20s just completely directionless because <laughs> they've got a... Money in your pocket. Money in your pocket. They've got the illusion of a network. And I only say that because, like, look, the bar friends you work with in your 20s rarely end up to be your friends when you're 30 or 40 with a kid. You know? Yeah. yeah. To be honest, you kind of trim away all your social life other than people who just happen to be directly in contact with you. So, like, your neighbors or your family. Like, at least from what I can 
from what I can ascertain. And so, I don't know. I just, I don't, it's hard. It's hard, like, to figure out what's important. The balance. And I mean, that's the whole thing is you got to just, it's important being able to understand to strike that balance. And when I was younger, even when I was in school, I was either in school or working all the time, like working two, three jobs kind of thing. And that's great. You're, you want to make as much money as you can. And, but now I'm just at a point where I just need more of that balance. I need that relaxation time. And, you know, it's easy. It, it, it's preaching on deaf ears sometimes, but it's important. It is side hustle. Isn't everything. Not everyone needs, you don't always, you don't always need that side hustle. If you just do the thing that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. you'll be happier overall. What, would you ever try and write a script mm. versus a novel? I have actually. Yeah. I'm like three quarters through writing one. What? Uh, it's a comedy. Comedy. And I'll tell you why I actually started doing that is because. So the stupid people at local. No, not, no, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Actually, it, th- I actually started writing it with a couple friends years ago yeah. and just never ended up finishing it. Um, my style of writing is very, I'm, I'm a good descriptive writer, but I was found I was really terrible at dialogue. Okay. I found I couldn't write dialogue to save my life. So what's the best way to learn how to write dialogue is write something that's entirely, can be entirely dialogue based, mm-hmm. which is a comedy, mm-hmm. right? It's all about punchlines, jokes, Not about banter, setting. not so much. It can be like, okay, like you have, it takes place at a high, American pie takes place at a high school, mm-hmm. right? Like the setting is, it's not. It's not uh, essential to the story, to the plot a lot of the time. It's about the interactions, like I said, the banter, the camaraderie between the characters. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. That's why I started writing it because I'm like, how can I get better at doing doing something I'm not very good at? Right. Um, and honestly, all I did was I just looked up uh, scripts. Yeah. I looked up, I, I like basically just searched super bad script, 40-year-old yeah. virgin script, forgetting Sarah Marshall script, one of my favorite comedies, forgetting yeah. Sarah Marshall. I think it's so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of looked at the length of it, the way it was structured and just kind of did my best to ape that. Right. So, uh, so you can get those scripts online. Yeah. You just, you just Google them. It's really easy. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. So I just download the PDF and just kind of like follow, I don't use final draft, just have it in like a word document for now, but yeah, working on it. And it's, um, I find comedy hard. I find, I've always thought it hard. I, th- I think it's really, especially again nowadays, but it's really hard to write something that makes people laugh and you can go back and watch it and still laugh. Right. It's easy to get, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier maybe to get that initial sort of shock laugh. Mm-hmm. But to have a movie that you can go back, like what's some comedies you can go back and watch? Like I can watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall, old Wedding school, Crashers. Old school, super bad. Yeah, like um, they're timeless. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think with those, it's it's about the nuanced interactions, right? It's yeah. always, it's it's never, it's not usually the big punchlines, no. but it's the little like reactions that can And Jonah Hill have. and Michael Sarah and just- Yeah, the, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just the little things or, you know, I when you said Forgetting Sarah Marshall, like the scene where, where they're having dinner and he's got his shirt Russell on, Brand, right? yeah, yeah. Russell Brand, yeah. and he like- Take my eyes, not my shirt. Yeah, exactly, Or like Jonah Hill, like, oh, like, you, yeah. do you want a magazine? Like, yeah, it's yeah. just those random little things. Like, I so love the one part where uh, he's like, oh, I passed on him and now he's a major, major influence on me now. Yeah. Is that stupid British accent supposed to be me? Unfortunately, Unfortunately, yes. yes. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just little things like that. Actually, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So back to art for a second. Yeah. It's so subjective. Like, okay, so how important is the name behind a piece of art? 
Like, okay. if I put out the exact same novel as Ernest Hemingway, but mm-hmm. you just cross off Ernest Hemingway and it's Shane Fennessy, mm-hmm. and I put that out and it's my first and no one knows anything about me, that doesn't, that's not successful and no one likes it, I'm sure. Well, let's put it this way. At some point, Ernest Hemingway was Shane Fennessy. Right. In the sense that, like, there, there was no pedigree behind his name as an author. Right. Uh, well, let's look at an example like this. J.K. Rowling released couple books after Harry Potter under a different name, mm-hmm. a different pseudonym because she wanted to distance herself. Mm-hmm. Um, not distance herself, but separate herself from that and not people, because th- it was more of an adult-centered book. It was uh, like a murder mystery. It's called uh, No Vacancy or something like that. It's going to be tough to be a, is she a billionaire? She is, yeah. To be a billionaire and then like, you're like, well, I really still like writing. But like, I don't think I'm ever going to get that successful. Stephen again. King did the same thing in his heyday. He wrote, he released some books under the name Richard Bachman because he had the anxiety of like, am I just, am I just selling stuff based on my name now? Not is everyone, on my, is everyone a yes man around me, right? Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Stephen King, yeah, million dollars, million, you know, billion dollars, whatever it is. Exactly. Um, so to answer your question, I think it depends. It depends where you are in your career, I guess, right? Like, yeah, there definitely comes a point where like for myself, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino is releasing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this summer with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I'm going to go watch that movie and Margot Robbie. I'm going to go watch that movie because it's those names, yeah. right? I'm just going to go watch it. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make time to see that movie. Yeah. Um, when I, I mean, I, w- I wasn't of age, but if I was 17 years old when Reservoir Dogs had come out, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just, I guess it's where you are in your, in your career. Right. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I think at some point it, I think you have to earn that too, right? You I have do to think you have to earn it. That's exactly why I said it wouldn't have the same weight as me releasing it because there's not that, that credibility. And also like art is so analyzed, right? So people go like, Oh, well, like we know we have an idea of what Tarantino or Hemingway is about. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like their new artists sort of weighed against their old one, old art. And it's sort of this evolving like tapestry of not sure. individual pieces, but you see like an artist's evolution throughout, throughout their work. And so to just chop off, just surgically remove a piece of that work and then attribute it to someone else in a parallel reality, I don't think it would have the same impact. No, and think, okay, let's go back to the example. Uh, we are talking about my first manuscript that I finished, or that I, I finished, nothing happened with it. Now, let's say I go on to be a somewhat successful author, and after my fourth or fifth release, I say, I have this manuscript that I wrote, like, years ago, uh, and now I'm going to release it. Yeah. Now, there might be publishers and fans who are like, oh, wow, his first manuscript? Like, wow, i got to read that, where it's like, you know, however many years ago this got rejected, yeah. you know, there's That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it might, you all of a sudden build up a name and then you release that. It might get praised. It might win awards. Yeah. You don't know. Right. Yeah, and, you sound like my dad now. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know what, son, it's important to keep trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's an interesting kind of thought, thought experiment of just like, you know, what really makes art and, and, and how does that evolve? And, and, you know, I don't know. So well, I got it, it, it's just that's the point it's subjective right and um, but at the same time it, it isn't if you know if that makes sense like yeah it's subjective you're gonna like different musicians and directors and actors mm-hmm. than someone sitting next to you at a bar right but at the same time it seems that real 
there's something objective that does sort of rise to the top. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Uh, yes. There's one part, there's one scene that I love where uh, he, uh, Miles Teller, right when he gets into his, the music school, he's at dinner with his family and he's like, yeah, I got into this school and it's t- saying how prestigious it is. And his cousin or his brother says like, oh, like music, like, isn't that, isn't that subjective? And he just goes, no, it's not. Like he has that idea in his head where it's like, it's like a sport, yeah. right? It's like, there is something, there's some, some, there's talent behind that proves greatness, that, that separates greatness from amateurism, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, to survive, to have any longevity, you have to actually have talent. I'm sure there's one-offs and that's why we see one-hit wonders all the time, right? They just, they hit inspiration at the perfect moment and it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it's right for the time and it's right for them and it's right for everyone. Like, it's just, it's just everything lines up. Yeah. But it's almost impossible to recapture that unless you have talent behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Do you have to touch anything else? So keep, you can touch whatever you want. <laughs> oh, hey, 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 no, 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 no. You're, you're giving away the uh, After Hours podcast <laughs> with that. The Patreon paywall. <laughs> I don't know, man. That was fun. Like, uh, that, was, yeah. that was over an hour and I really got to pee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is basically like, if you're ever around Shane and I, this is just what we do. Like, come visit us at <laughs> because when we're working, this is pretty much it. You understand about... 30% of what we say, but we smile and laugh while we're saying it. Yeah. So yeah, that's the do. important thing. We do. Hey, so stir up sports. Uh, yeah. What, whatever happened there? I wasn't on stir up sports. I know. What do you, what was your take from that from the outside? Oh, why, why didn't yeah. it work out? Did you listen to them? I did listen to them. I was actually, uh, I was a, I was a phone guest for one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that you need, when you have a group, like a, when I, I experienced it before. So I had a podcast called Off the Bench. It was a sports-based podcast, right? When you have three people or more, you need to base you need to have somebody who is like the the true host, right? Somebody who is sort of the curator, the yeah. moderator, if you will. Yeah. Otherwise, it just becomes a bunch of guys in a room talking, mm-hmm. which you think you can sell, which sounds appealing. It's like, everyone always says they're like, Oh, I feel like I'm in the room with them. Like, but there needs to be a little bit of a structure. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes maybe it just, that got lost a bit. Yeah. Um, do you have opinions on that? Uh, for me personally, it was that I have a hard time giving up control. Yeah. And I just, when I have a vision, I like to, I like to go for it. Okay. So yeah, a little bit of a control freak. Okay. That's, and that's fair because I think that that, that's basically how this podcast evolved for Neil and I mm-hmm. is that we wanted to do a little bit more than just sports stuff, like yeah. hard sports stuff. Um, and Adam, the guy who was on it with us, didn't want to. Like he, he was like, no, I don't. He's not. He wasn't interested in doing more pop culture stuff. And yeah. so, and that was fine. Um, you know, we're gonna have him on, and we're gonna do some. The you know the OG off the bench lineup and do yeah. and talk about some that that standard sports stuff. But it is. I, I know what you mean when you have a vision and people. Yeah. So when you say you you didn't like giving up control, did you feel like you didn't have enough say in how the direction of it was going? Well, the the first part of it was that I didn't necessarily feel that I had any particular value to add to a sports show. Like, why are people listening to us? Right. Why why is our take more informative and or entertaining than, you know, TSN or or whoever else? 
um, or those nation, those kind of guys, yeah. right? So I was like, you know what? That's not really my my lane that I need to be in. Right. Um, and with this show, the reason why I enjoy doing this one so much is it's literally just whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Right. And and people thankfully have been listening, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's not most of the people I source out because I'm curious and I find them. And then it's a fraction of people saying, "Hey, you should check this person out." Sure, and I do. Yeah, and if I like them, then I'll then I'll have them on. If I don't, then I won't. Right. So, yeah. so that I'm never I'm never you know cornered into having to talk about something that I'm not truly excited about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's well, why this has succeeded. And that's the biggest thing is you have to have that. Again, it's going to sound cliche, but you have to have that passion behind it. You have to be able to like, like the podcasting thing is. I like it again. I talk about the creativity, but it also, it, I come from a bit of a radio background and I loved doing that. I love being on the radio. I love doing, I, I was a volunteer uh, DJ for at CGSR mm-hmm. campus radio, community radio. CGSR is community radio. They, they're very animate. They're not just campus radio. They're community based. Okay. Um, and I like doing that. And I remember being nervous every time I would get on air, right? You're going to be like, oh my God, there's people listening to me. And the same thing. It's like, they're going to care what I have to say. Like what? I'm just some, some guy on the U of A campus. Like who, why are they going to care what I have to say about? But when you put a, any sort of passion behind it, people feed off that. Yeah. People like that. People, people want to hear that because, you know, I guess we live in a bit more of an isolated society now with you can stay in your apartment or your house all day and never have to interact with people, but still feel like you have. Mm -hmm. And so when you get a little bit of passion coming through your AirPods or whatever you're listening through, it it, it does have an effect on people. And so I think it's important that you recognize that and be like, I'm man, I'm not like, I'm just a guy in a room who's going to like contribute something to say here and there. Yeah. And I think it's good that you recognize that and we're like, no, I'm going to do something that I'm going to at least feel that I'm putting a little bit more feeling behind. Yeah. Like you ultimately realize that you're kind of just a conduit, right? Like mm-hmm. you just, you're like, Hey, if I'm interested in this, there's, there's at least a non-zero chance that there's a couple other people interested in it as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you're, you actually have interests that you didn't know about. And All it's the- like, Hey, this, yeah. this person showed me that. And that's why I started listening to podcasts in the first place. All the best podcasts come from guys, people, men and women who didn't do it because they're like, I'm going to make the best podcast out there. Like I'm going to talk with people or I'm going to talk about things that I want to. Yeah. And that, and people are, are going to pick up on that. Like Mark Marin with WTF, like had one of the, him and Adam Carolla basically like invented the idea of the modern podcast. Yeah. Right. And Mark Marin was like, he wasn't, he was a struggling comedian, wasn't getting any acting gigs and was like, I'm just going to be in my garage and just like talk about stuff that I like. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Corolla. Like he was, you know, I've heard him talk about it. He was like, I set these goals for myself and I never reached them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, I don't know where I'm going in life. So I'm just going to like try this out. Right. And, and you, you, and it just comes back to like, they just had that, there was a passion there where there was like, let's talk. I'm going to talk to people who th- maybe not think like me, but like I can have a conversation with and eventually people are just going to pick up on that. Yeah. Well, whatever you do, there's probably an audience out there for you. And <laughs> yeah, uh, no <laughs> doubt. What do they call that? Like rule, 
rule 35 or whatever what yeah we'll talk that that again that's for the patreon page oh okay uh yeah well for the paywall rule 49 and, uh, and, two-man booth yeah which uh i will be appearing on yes yeah so like, we should talk about that so this is obviously going up wednesday yeah and on friday uh, shane will be coming on my podcast neil will be away so he'll be coming on two-man booth and we're going to talk about I think we might do some of Shane's favorite films. Yeah, and talk I've about got homework. Talk about what we're excited for for this coming upcoming summer, and maybe do even though you feel like your opinion doesn't matter, it matters to me. We'll do maybe a little post mortem on the Oilers this year. Mm-hmm. Talk about how it went, City of Champions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is fun. I'm pretty tuned out at the end of the season, partly obviously because you're away. I've, well, yeah, partly because they suck, <laughs> and partly because I was away. It's a little blend of both. But, yeah. Um, no, I'll certainly plug my favorite films and cool, uh, yeah. and plug my current films, and, and we can talk about all that. Maybe I'll even give you a couple good stories from. Ooh, uh, yes, story stories from behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, I think. It, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. We'll talk about the uh, the the uh, documentary making. Mm-hmm. What goes into that? Because it's uh, I uh, I'm, I'm interested in that because I, I I'm not somebody who watches a ton, mm-hmm. and I always wonder about what goes into that for sure. So yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll give away the trade secrets. Well, I mean, if you, <laughs> if, only if you want to. All right, buddy. Nick, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Hey, long overdue. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, let's do this again. We'll do part two. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll actually have a list of topics to talk about next time. (laughs) You know what? This was wide ranging and quite enjoyable, I have to say. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. See you later. See ya. Hey, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed that far-flung conversation I had with Nick. One last thing for today, and that is to let everybody know to check out albertapodcastnetwork.com for a great array of Albertan-produced content. Uh, With the provincial election coming up in a couple of weeks, I'd highly recommend checking out the Dave Berta podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, That's where Dave and Ryan talk about politics, policy, and events from an Edmontonian, Albertan, and Canadian perspective. So get excited, get informed, and get your asses back here next week for the podcast. See you then.